before the break, we reviewed the message of this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 to 13. We reminded us that the message is that the enjoyment of God's blessing under a good spiritual leadership will not shield you from his judgment if you displease him. And so we gave three reasons for giving that message. The first one is that the date of the majority of the Israelites in the desert was because of God's displeasure with them. The second, that the date of the uh, most Israelites in the desert is to dissuade us from evil desires, that such evil desires as idolatry, sexual immorality, putting God to the taste, and grumbling. Then the third reason is Israel's experience in the desert is written down for us as examples and as warning. We also noted that we are privileged to live in the last days of the outworking of God's plan with examples of how God reacts to idolatry, sexual immorality, testing him, and grumbling. So we then started our exhortation that we started to look at the previous Sunday with verse 12. And so in verse 12, we indicated or stated that the privilege people have has a tendency to create arrogance on us. Now, our privilege positions, or whatever privilege that we have, has a tendency to create arrogance. So we showed from the scripture the examples of those whose privilege position led them to arrogance. The one, will, one that I say my surprise someone that we examined was David. His affair with Bathsheba was because of his privileged position as the king of Israel that caused him to take another man's wife knowing that the woman would not reject him because of his power, his privileged position in Israel. The second person that we used was King Ahab and we also noted that it is because of his uh, privileged position that he took the property, the land of Nebuchadnezzar, after he was killed. But we also we indicated that sure, privileges can cause all these things, but that also privilege that we have should cause us to be humble, knowing fully well that with great privilege comes great responsibility, as we saw by reading Luke 12, verse 47 through 48. So, we say that the concept of privilege is introduced in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, by the word so, because that's the word that led us to deal with the matter of uh, privilege. We warn then that uh, the Holy Spirit wants us not to be slack in the spiritual life because we have 
uh, or because we are spirit, uh, privileged spiritually, as in the uh, statement of 1 Corinthians 10, 12, where it says, if you think you are standing firm, and so we look at the word think, and indicated that uh, what our thoughts affect us, both negatively or positively. So, the way we act comes from what we think. And we warned of the issue of being involved in overestimation of ourselves to the point that we uh, do not realize that we are arrogant and so we are in trouble spiritually. So anyway, we also indicated that the kind of claim the apostle is talking about of someone who thinks, who claims, who supposes that the person is standing firm is a kind of thing that you will find among those who go to Bible teaching churches, local churches. Because they assume that by going there, that yes, they must have privileged position and therefore they must be standing firm. Now, again, we indicated that yes, when people think that way, those who go to Bible teaching local churches, that they are actually in the same way as Peter. They are thinking in the same way Peter did. Because the Lord told him, you're going to deny me. Peter said, no, no, no. Now why did he do that? Because of the privileged position. And I indicated that part of that privilege is wherever the Lord went, on a special occasion, he would take Peter. So Peter got accustomed. I'm, I'm such a privileged person. I'm so committed to the Lord. I'm not going to fail him. And so we began to look at some of the uh, way that the Lord took him to a special occasion that caused him to think that I am firmly committed to the Lord. And the example, the first passage that I cited is Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And that's where we begin our second session. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 reads, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So you see, that's a special occasion. Who does he go with? Peter. On the occasion when the Lord raised Jairus, daughter, uh, Jairus daughter from the dead, the Lord Jesus also took Peter with him. As in Mark chapter 5, verse 37. Mark chapter 5, verse 37. Mark chapter 5 verse 37 reads, He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. And so, one gets the sense then that Peter was often close to the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. It it is this similarity or familiarity with the Lord that caused him to think then that he was committed firmly to the Lord. That, that is that he was standing firm in, to his faith in the Lord and was incapable of failing the Lord by denying him. As we have indicated, his claim 
was proven wrong when he denied the Lord three times under intense pressure. So it is because of Peter's experience that I believe those who uh, are devoted to the study of the word of God in local churches or those who attend church faithfully may think that they are standing firm in the faith or that they are unwavering in their commitment to the Lord that they are no longer in danger of failing spiritually in a way that is disastrous to them. So all the same, all the same, the clause we're studying in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, if you think you are standing firm. Now so, and also Apostle Paul's experience, this clause and the Apostle Paul's experience, I mean Peter's, sorry, Peter's experience, should remind us that we are all capable of thinking that we are committed firmly to the Lord or to what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God so that we do not think that we will fail spiritually in a way that is disastrous to us. Now if we assume that we are standing firm in our faith, how can we tell if that is really true? In other words, if you believe you are standing firm, how can you really believe, prove that that's true? Well, there are some, at least two ways we can test ourselves to see if we are indeed standing firm in our faith to avoid failing in a way that is disastrous to us. The first is a test of not wavering from what we have been taught from the word of God. Not wavering. It is this test that is implied in what the Holy Spirit said to Apostle uh, Paul in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 15 reads, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Now the command stand firm is essentially the same as the command hold to the teachings or should we say that the second command really explains the first. So the implication is that when a person stands firm in the person's faith, that individual holds to what the person believes. The person understands what it is that the individual believes. You understand what it is. And so can hold his or her ground when attacked by defending what the individual believes. If you are unable to defend what you believe, it is doubtful that you utterly understand what you believe, since you will not be carrying out the instruction of 1 Peter 
chapter 3 verse 15. First Peter chapter 3 verse 15. First Peter chapter 3 verse 15 reads, But in your hearts, set Christ as Lord, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So if you remain firm, you will not only defend yourself, but you will not allow anyone to sway you so that you return to what you have rejected as pagan practices, for example. So in this way, you hold your freedom in Christ by rejecting traditions that are not biblical. So you stand firm. Don't get moved from what you believe. A second test, though, you can apply to yourself to determine if you are actually standing firm in your faith is that of lifestyle. Lifestyle. Now this means that you should test yourself to see if you are habitually living according to truth of God's word. Now this test is implied in what the Holy Spirit gave to Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. It is, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. So the apostle conveyed to the Philippians that it is their conduct that is in keeping with the gospel of Christ that will enable him to know that the Philippians are standing firm in their faith. Hence, if you test yourself with the consistency of your conduct in keeping with the word of God, then that will enable you to know that you are standing firm in your faith or that you are remaining committed to your faith in the Lord Jesus in such a way that you will not fail spiritually with disastrous results to you. Now, it is possible that you pass the two tests that we have given, but because we are still prone to acting in a manner 
that is contrary to what we believe, we are then cautioned to be careful in our faith. Now it is this caution that is given in the command of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. Look at it again, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 that we're starting. It says, be careful that you don't fall. Be careful that you don't fall. Now what is it though, that the Holy Spirit is saying to the Corinthians and then so to us in this command and how do we obey it? Those are two questions. What does it really mean to be careful that you, you don't fall? And how do we obey that command? Now the expression uh, that I have to consider, I mean there are two issues or two Greek words that we need to look at to help us answer the question. Now the first one is that command, be careful. That is translated from a Greek word that may mean to see, to see. That is of course to perceive with the eyes as in the instruction given by the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul to the Corinthians about focusing on heavenly things than on earthly things as in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18. Second Corinthians chapter four verse eighteen. It is so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the, now the Greek word also may mean to watch, to be aware of, in the sense of being ready to learn about something that is needed or hazardous, as it is used in the structure of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the uh, Galatians concerning backbiting each other in Galatians chapter 5 verse 15. Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 reads If you keep on biting and devouring each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other Here the Greek word blepo is translated watch out. Now the word also may mean to be careful, to be careful, as it is used in this instruction of how one conducts self as a believer in Christ, as stated in Ephesians chapter five, verse fifteen. Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 Ephesians 5 verse 15 reads Be very careful then 
how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it is used with the meaning to watch carefully. That is, to be vigilant. To be on the lookout or to be careful. To be on the lookout or to be careful. Now the word fall that is that's using the command be careful that you do not fall. That word fall is translated from a Greek word pipto, pipto. That may mean to fall down. As in the experience of Apostle Paul when the Lord Jesus first appeared to him as we read in Acts chapter 9 verse 4. Acts chapter 9 verse 4. It reads, He fell to the ground and had a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So, the word here fell is our Greek word. Now the word may mean fall, to fall in the sense of to experience loss of status or loss of condition. So, can refer to being ruined completely or to fall in a moral sense, as that is the way the word is used to describe fall from the state of grace in Romans chapter 11 verse 11. Romans to fall from a state of grace. Oh, that's losing some, experiencing some loss of status. Here it says, again, I ask, did they, as the Israelites, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, the cause of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10, 12, the word actually means to fall in the sense of suffering defeat. Suffering defeat. Or suffering some kind of failure or even some ruin. So then our consideration of the two Greek words used in the command of 1 Corinthians 10, to be careful that you don't fall enables us to interpret what the apostle meant. Amen? That we should be spiritually vigilant to ensure that we are not defeated spiritually in the sense of falling into sin with disastrous consequence that may involve Punishment by death, as some of the Israelites experienced. Again, that what he's saying to us is that we should be spiritually vigilant to ensure that we're not defeated in the sense of falling into sin with disastrous consequences that may involve punishment by death, 
as some of the Israelites experienced in the desert. Now some of the Corinthians experienced death. As the apostle wrote, they, they were experienced death because they abused the Lord's Supper. As the apostle stated later in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 29 and 30. First Corinthians chapter nine, I mean chapter eleven, verses twenty-nine through thirty. See, okay, Paul is warning them: you must be careful if you're not spiritually vigilant. You fall into sin that may lead, bring about some kind of judgment that may lead to death. And we, we say, we have, here's an example of that, but that's yet to come, and that is, this will abuse the Lord's supper, and this is what we read. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, so the Israelites of the Exodus generation suffer spiritually, and in other words, they suffer spiritual defeat. Manifested in the sins of the, the apostles already mentioned, such as idolatry, sexual immorality, tasting God, and grumbling. So the command, be careful that you don't fall. It's not merely that we do not fall into these sins of the Israelites that died in the desert, but that we should be careful that we are not arrogant. So that we do not even recognize that we have been defeated spiritually, probably because the Lord did not immediately discipline us. Not also we have to be very careful. We can be defeated and we're going around and thinking that we're such a great believer. Yet because of arrogance, we have been totally defeated. That's something that we have to all have to watch out. Because it's very easy. For us to get into this arrogance thing, and then we walk around and thinking we're, you know, uh, on the king of the road, so to say, when it comes to the spiritual life, whereas we're not. Yet we're already defeated, and that is one of the most dangerous things that we all have to be concerned with. It's very easy that we don't see that we've been defeated, all because God has not lowered the boom, as we say, on us yet. So we walk around and think, yes, I must be great. I'm this and that. And yet we do not really know that we are actually having defeated. Anyway, as I have stated previously, those who are in Bible teaching congregations are more vulnerable to this kind of spiritual defeat because they may relax spiritually because they attend regularly Bible classes or Bible services, church services, but may not be advancing spiritually because they associate being in Bible class with spiritual growth. Now, there's no doubt that Bible class is associated with spiritual growth, but that is only the case if there is 
application of what is hard. In other words, showing up here, for example, doesn't mean you're maturing. Doesn't mean you're growing spiritually. Until you, whatever you hear, you start applying it. If you just hear, that's all you do. You say, well, I went to church. I went to Bible study. I'm regular. No, that doesn't mean you're growing spiritually. It just means you somehow you form the habit of coming here. It's a habit. That's all it is. Until there is the issue where whatever you hear, you immediately strive to apply it. So we are all being warned then that we should be spiritually vigilant to ensure that we do not become spiritually defeated by sin. That's something that the apostle meant when he said, be careful that you don't fall. We need to be careful that we must be vigilant to ensure that we do not become spiritually defeated by sin. Now, when we talk about being spiritually vigilant, that brings to the second question of how then to obey the command of 1 Corinthians 10, 12 that we're starting. We say, be careful that you don't fall. Now, we have noted that the command means that we should be spiritually vigilant to ensure that we are not defeated spiritually with disastrous consequences that may even involve death. The way we go about though this is by being again spiritually vigilant to ensure that we don't fail. Now spiritual vigilance is paramount in the life of believers. This we can trace to the instruction of the Holy Spirit through Moses to Israel to be vigilant not to forget God's work among them as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. You can put your marker there. I'll go to one passage. I'll come back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 reads, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. See, it is quite easy for us to forget the many wonderful things God has done for us when we face other difficulties of life. In other words, those things as we go with this thing, what have you done for me lately? That's something that we all have to watch out for in the spiritual life. No, many, many of us, we, you know, we don't remember what somebody did in the past for us. If they just did something bad to us, as we say it's bad to us. 
immediately will forget whatever they did. No one would not remember that. Now, that can happen in the spiritual life. If you have that kind of attitude, there's nothing that says you wouldn't do that. If you're, you're facing with some difficulties in your spiritual life, you forget everything God has done for you. That's what we're being warned. In other words, some of us, under such conditions of difficulties, forget that the Lord, for example, has answered their prayers in the past and has shown them His goodness. And so, they begin to question God's ability to do something for them or they think that God has forgotten them. Now, a believer who thinks that uh, God has forgotten the individual will be in danger of failing to the same sin of the Israelites that died in the desert. I mean, the sin of testing the Lord. So anyway, it is important that we recognize how urgently we need to remain spiritually vigilant. Now, how do we go about being spiritually vigilant? I'm sure you can almost answer it because of what I've been explaining. Now, the primary way of ensuring that one is spiritually vigilant is attendance to the Word of God. Since every other thing that we can do to ensure we are spiritually vigilant requires the knowledge of the Word of God. Now this requires we pay attention to the instruction the Lord gave to Joshua as he took the mantle of leadership from Moses. As we read in Joshua chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. Joshua Joshua chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 Joshua chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 It is Be strong and very courageous be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now many believers know this uh, passage by heart, so to say, or can refer to it. But I wonder how many that have actually noted the sequence of the instructions in these two verses, the sequence. See, the instruction begins with requirement of obedience to the law. Before the instruction to learn the word of uh, the uh, words of the book of the law is given, so I'm saying that we have first look at verse seven. He says, "Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you." That's the first thing. Then 
The instruction in verse 8 says, Meditate on it day and night. Now granting that Joshua already knew of some of the content of the law. But he would not have known every part of it or remember every part of it. Those we should have expected that the first instruction would be for him to meditate on the word of God then obeyed. That's what we probably expect. Now I suppose that the reason the Holy Spirit put the subject of obedience before meditation is to get us to recognize the importance of obedience. The importance of obedience. Now there are many Christians who enjoy the teaching of the word of God because they are stimulated in the mind or because they acquire new information each time they attend Bible classes. But they go no further than that, resulting in little spiritual growth. In other words, yes, you get stimulated. Yes, you get free information, you, ex- you get excited. But if that's all you do, there is just very little growth spiritually. You need to go beyond that. Does then the Holy Spirit wants us to recognize that learning the Word of God is the first step to attending to God's Word. But, of course, an important aspect of attending to God's Word is applying what one learns. Applying what one learns. Now, this is the reason the Holy Spirit through Moses continued to hammer Israel with instruction to obey what they have taught them. As for example in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 32. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 32. It is, so be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, it is because of the importance of carrying out the instruction one hears taught from the word of God. That the Holy Spirit says through James that it is really of little value if the only thing one does is to hear the word of God but does not put it into practice. As we are commanded to be uh, those who carry out the instruction of what we receive from the word of God in James chapter 1 verses 22 through 20, uh, chapter 1 verses 21 through 22 sorry James 1 22 through 25 James chapter 1 
James chapter 1, beginning at verse 22, it reads, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what he says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what he says, is like a man who looks at his face in, in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But a man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has had, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So, it's not hearing it. That's the first step. We must go beyond that. We'll hear, but we have to apply what we hear. So, the point that we're emphasizing is that we should recognize the importance of obedience to what we learn from God's word. Now, having emphasized the concept of obedience, the Holy Spirit through the apostle, uh, I mean, in this case, uh, really going back to uh, Joshua, uh, the Holy Spirit through Moses gave him that instruction, and God through the Holy Spirit also gave more directly to Joshua the instruction to meditate on it day and night. That's, that's, that's Joshua 1 8. Meditate it day and night. That's an instruction that's very important. Now, this instruction, meditate it on it day and night, could be understood as either referring to corporate worship of Israel, where the word of God is to be read aloud, or it could refer to private worship, where the word of God is to be read daily. Now we are concerned with personal application that really concerns how a believer will remain vigilant spiritually. Now this being the case, the instruction is that a believer should spend time daily in the word of God. Now, as I say, some of you hear me and you ignore it. That's fine. That's, I mean, I don't mean it's fine that you do that. But it just is fine because that's what you choose to do. But if you hear what I've been saying and you choose to just come here, and that's about it. Even then, you're coming here. It's questionable too. Whether you are really interested. Now, it all depends on what attitude that you show to the world. So, here it is. Suppose a person, they say, okay, I'm coming, I come here all the time. Well, that's great. But, if you don't spend time daily in the world, you have not fulfilled the reason you're here. It's just as simple as that. There's no shortcut to it. God expects you to do that. He expects me to do that. So, there's no way you can... Pat yourself at the back and say, well, I go to church regularly. Go to Bible studies regularly. No. You must spend time in the world. You must do that. So, to me, it is preferably 
that a believer should spend time reading the word daily. Although it's preferable that the believer listens to adequate teaching of the word of God, followed by personal reading of the scripture. So the reason it's very important that you read the Bible daily is so that you have a frame of thinking from the Bible. It doesn't mean that you know the details. It doesn't mean that that's where you must have a teacher. Unless you have the gift of teaching and have been trained in a way to actually interpret the scripture. Otherwise, you have to rely on those who have the gift of teaching that do it as the Lord instructs them. So, you need to read it daily, but you also need to get a daily exposition, so to say, of the scripture. So, in other words, all I'm saying is this. The believer should read the Bible and then get the teaching of the scripture from one that has the gift of teaching. Now, a believer who does this daily will be equipped to be to being spiritually vigilant so long as the individual follows that up with application or obedience to the word the person lines. Now, learning of the word of God on a consistent basis should help a believer in dealing with his or her thoughts. Since spiritual vigilance requires handling of our thoughts. If you are a vigilant believer, spiritual, you must be very careful how you handle your thoughts. That's part of that vigilance. How, what, you know, the thoughts coming in, how am I dealing with it? You see, a believer will be bombarded with thoughts that will lead to wanting to act independent of God or not to submit to His word. So, in short, the believer then must filter his or her thought to ensure that every thought is in keeping with the word of God. Now this requirement of filtering thoughts to bring them in, in keeping with the word of God is really the essence of the declaration of Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 It reads Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 reads We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, notice the apostle stated, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, to remain spiritually vigilant requires monitoring your thoughts to ensure they are in keeping with the word of God. Monitor it. For example, a believer may be tempted to become arrogant 
by thinking of self in a manner that is not warranted by reality, as we have mentioned previously. If such a believer is grounded in the scripture, the person could handle that thought by remembering the scripture that cautions us against such thinking as stated in the passage we cited previously in Romans chapter 12 verse 3. Don't have to write it down. You can just listen. Romans 12 verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. Be real about yourself. And don't worry. I mean, I know people love, you know, many people just love this thing about flattering. They flatter you. You think you, whatever they're flattering, that's true. You should know when people are flattering you and know that that's not really true. You should know that. That's part of being, you know, uh, think, think of yourself with sober judgment. You know, you know who you are. And so when people give all these compliments and this, it wouldn't faze you. Because you are evaluating yourself correctly. Not what people see on the outside, but the one who sees you on the inside. So you know what he sees. And that's what you're concerned with. So, this, so then we say, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That should enable the believer then to be humble and not to think of self in a very highly manner. So, if a believer fails to evaluate properly, uh, to evaluate self properly, the individual will become defeated in thought. Since the individual will evaluate self wrongly, similar to what the Lord charged some in the church of Laodicea, among the seven Asiatic churches, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Revelation 3, verse 17. Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. It reads, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, Blind and naked. Now, that's part of the thing that we in this country face as believers. Because we all, you know, I'm saying most majority, I, mean, I know there are people struggling everywhere, but majority in this country enjoy good life, as they say. So they equate that to mean that they are good Christians. That doesn't mean that. It does not mean that. That's what the situation was with the Laodiceans. The they were enjoying great prosperity in the city. And they think, well, yeah, we're okay, we're, we don't need anything. So, they, you know, they, going to church becomes just a routine to them. And then God said, no, 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 no. You do not realize that you are wretched, that you are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
that's what thing we all have to be struggling against. This thing called affluence has a way of blinding people that they think they're doing with spiritually. Because they are, it's, you know, there's some kind of affluence. Anyway, it is true that one of the constant bombardments of the thoughts of believers is towards pride of self. But we are also bombarded with thoughts that lead to anxiety. We are being bombarded with thoughts that lead to anxiety. Therefore, spiritual vigilance requires that a believer should watch the attack of anxiety that could lead to question God or uh, to not trust in Him. It is because we are prone to anxiety that the Lord issued the command to the disciples as recorded in Luke chapter 21 verse 34. Luke chapter 21 verse 34. Luke chapter 21 verse 34. It reads, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. The anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. So the command, be careful, here is similar to the one we are considering in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 verse 12. Hence, this passage in Luke, though, implies that spiritual vigilance requires guiding against anxieties of life. They come. They will come. We are bombarded with it. There are things that are just going to create that idea of being anxious about things. Anxiety will set in. You must reject it. You must set it out. As you guard against worrying then, you should also be on the guard regarding the association that you keep as that will affect your spiritual life. There's no question about that. The Bible is very clear to us. The company you keep determines who you are. In many, many ways. So that's the first thing. That we have to be committed to the learning of the word of God. And applying it. That's the first way of being vigilant. A second way to ensure that you are spiritually vigilant. Is to remain prayerful. Prayerful. Since prayer is part of the offensive weapon that a believer should use in the spiritual warfare that we are engaging the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul commands prayer on all occasions as we read in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. Ephesians 
chapter 6 verse 18 he reads and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert that's be vigilant be alert always keep on praying for all the saints so you should be very prayerful don't think you can do it on your own depend on the Lord that's why you pray every situation you ask for wisdom ask for strength in order to be vigilant that's part of being vigilant Dozen, you should learn to depend on the Lord by constantly praying Asking for wisdom to know when there is spiritual danger that could lead you to fall spiritually with disastrous consequences. Now if you do this, the Lord will enable you to be vigilant so that you are not defeated spiritually. That's what we need to do. That's the challenge. That we be vigilant in order that we don't fall. That is the challenge of this message, this study too. That you should go home. We've talked about how to be vigilant. Spiritually, of course. Go home. Apply them. Let's pray. As we close our study this morning, there may be someone here, or someone listening over the internet, who wants you to know that God loves you. You may not think that he loves you because your life is in a mess. Things are running running out of control in your life. You don't seem to know what is what. You're spinning around you, wallowing in misery, all because you really don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ yet. Which means that if you die at that state, you'll be spending eternity forever in a more horrible situation than you now experience. But this is good news. God in his goodness, in his love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who, although God, left all the glories of heaven to take on a human body because he wants to elevate you to sonship. He wants you to spend eternity with him. He wants you to avoid being in the lake of fire. And the way you do that is to look at who he is. The one without sin came to bear the sins of the world. That's why he's described as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What a love that he has, that he's willing, and he was willing to die for you and me to pay the penalty of sins that we could never take in any form or shape. We're incapable of meeting God's demand. So, Jesus Christ came 
and took all of it, went to the cross, and he was charged. While on that cross, he endured everything that we can even imagine. But the last three hours on the cross, when my sins and your sins were actually being charged on the Son of God, it was so unbearable that he let out that cry, Eli, Eli, Lamasbakatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken that you may be brought in. He was forsaken that you may have life. How? The Bible tells you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you to believe? Again, the Bible says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believing in Him, you have life through His name. If you believe that there's nothing in you that will gain God's favor, except believing that His Son died for you. If you believe that Christ died and rose again the third day, you will receive eternal life. So, believing Him, escape God's coming judgment. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us so that we be mindful, that we become spiritually vigilant. Help us to be very careful that we do not walk around in spiritual arrogance without knowing it. And enable us to use our privileges that you have given us in a way that will honor your Son, Jesus Christ. All of this we request in Christ's name. Amen.